This is episode three of the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. I'm Josh Folan, and as is always the case, I am talking to a talented filmmaker that works in the low to micro budget filmmaking space. Today I'm talking to Chris Greenslate, who is the writer, director, and a producer on a feature I saw at SF Indie a couple weeks ago called Saviors. Let's get rolling. This is the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. Uh, I am Josh Folan, and I am here with... Uh, Christopher Greenslate. And uh, I met Chris at the San Francisco uh, Indie Fest this past, uh, I guess, two weekends ago now, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I saw his film, Saviors, and thought it was... Uh, Something I needed to know more about. So I, I dragged him into... Uh, Notice into, he didn't say good. He just said, I need to know more about that. Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought it was good if I wanted to know more. Cool. I think that's kind of Dig a given. It. I think that's yeah. a given. <laughs> I uh, have to pull compliments out of people of or course, they don't right. come. <laughs> uh, I'm from Ohio. I have an Irish Catholic background. I don't have... I don't, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. supportive. Just, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, well, now I know. <laughs> yeah, it's not you. It's me. Great. Um, so, yeah. So, so, I hear so, that a lot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what to tell you about that. Yeah. I'm, we just met. I can't. I can't yeah, psychoanalyze yeah, yeah. your whole situation. Well, then why am I here? I don't know. I, I <laughs> well, this... by the end of it, I may be able to. Okay, right great. now, though, we're just. We, you know, I just got here and we got this coffee. Okay, great. Uh, so yeah, so so you know, I, I just met Chris and I wanted to talk a little bit about the film and his experience making it. And uh, yeah, let's just cut into it. The first cool. thing uh, I like to ask, just to kind of set the table, is. Uh, your first dollar earned in the entertainment industry, what was it, and how did you score the gig? Gosh, that's a uh, first dollar earned. Like entertainment as like a wide canvas. In any way, dude, it could have been cool. So you I could mean, have been an extra if you you know. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I so uh, I came up in the the music scene. So I came up in the punk and hardcore music scene. Uh, the first dollar I made was playing a live show. Okay. Right, I was getting paid to play a show. As a um, yeah, as 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 a, as a musician, frontman uh, kind of deal. So I mean, and I think actually at one point I like at a, as a fifteen year old person, I had that dollar like you know stapled to my wall, and I think I remember writing like you know fuck whatever the venue name was because they literally paid us a dollar um, <laughs> because it, they, the joke was like, well now you've been paid as a musician, right? Uh, and they were kind of razzing us, but that was the first dollar was was playing a, a live show as a punk band and you know getting our one dollar take nice nice that's a, that's a nice haul for a first job yeah uh okay so that's an interesting and unexpected answer what about i guess the film business sure what would be the first of that in the film business um so so i went to the afi conservatory um and uh, i had a really great answer in a seminar there with one of my mentors uh, and he he literally paid me a dollar for it and he said <laughs> said welcome to hollywood you've made your first buck uh, go That's home awesome. and tell your mom you know that that you know what you're doing in entertainment now so mm-hmm. so that so that would technically also be a, a, a dollar one but do you, um, what was the do you remember what 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 did you say that warranted that we were talking about uh, this this film from 1980 called Ordinary People, which I think is a classic film a lot of people are familiar with, um, and and essentially the conversation was about uh, what it means developmentally to be from the American suburbs and how people deal with grief and loss uh, and how you know kind of like pushing those feelings down, and so uh, this 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 particular mentor who's a screenwriter of note. Uh, start talking a bit about psychotherapy and how we deal with problems because it's a central component of the film for two of the characters. And so 
uh, I, I made some comment to the effect of how you know young men portrayed on film, um, especially in a, in a psychotherapy kind of environment, is is an interesting but also like not very um, you know kind of it doesn't yield a whole lot right because I, I think culturally and narratively and story we're still trying to figure out. Uh, how to portray young men in a way that feels authentic uh, and the people who get it right uh, I think really get it right um, but it's very rare and I think that my comment was something about that whereas like in that film, I'm impressed it, it, I might give you a dollar now just cool <laughs> so $2. there's two <laughs> uh, now I can call my dad and say hey dad uh, yeah so I, I, it, so we were talking about that and, and yeah, he, he literally pulled out his wallet and just like crisped it out and I think I was the first one in that seminar uh, and then from that point forward people's hands were like you know because there's a vending machine right outside <laughs> so but anyway and, and then after that I think you know in, in all like seriousness um, I you know the first like oh you're a writer or you're a creative you're a director uh so a script that i wrote while i was there uh was optioned by a company and it was like you know here it was five grand like here's five grand uh we want this for 18 months right i was like cool dig it nice, yeah. <laughs> where do i sign <laughs> absolutely absolutely did that end up getting produced no development no and, <laughs> and and they the option has expired um but i wrote it for kind of like for this particular producer um, who ended up funding a lot of my film school education okay. as part of a competitive grants process. So at the end of all of that, you, you, you owed him a script, essentially. And if he liked it, he would option it. So he optioned it, but it was, I essentially that's a, that's wrote it. That's a great it, deal coming out of school. Yeah. Totally. So I, wrote, so I basically wrote it for him, though. So it's kind of sitting there. It's like if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't make it, I don't know anyone else in China. Right. Uh, you know. <laughs> cool. Okay. So... Uh, Getting into the project, yeah. uh, Saviors. Give me, again, just for kind of a listener thing, I watched the film, I know what, it, what it's about, but give me your elevator pitch for it. Sure, Saviors is uh, the story of a young woman who embeds herself in a white power group in order to find her adoptive African-American mother. Um, and on the night that we're with her, the night of the film, uh, the group returns from a rally, and uh, she's been with the the leader of this group and he gives her an anniversary present which is uh you know a prisoner that they've taken home uh who's, who's african-american and uh, they shoot one in front of her put the gun in her hand for the other one uh and they test her allegiance and so from there we kind of have an escape thriller the the other part of the pitch is it's all shot in a continuous 82 minute take uh with no cuts uh so no stars no budget no cuts it's <laughs> kind of the the elevator pitch to other filmmakers that I can give. Nice, uh, and I'll certainly have plenty of questions about that latter fact. Sure. Uh, uh, okay, so and and again, just uh, for the sake of the listener, what were your roles on it, and how did the project first? How did you and the project first align? Uh, so this, so I, I wrote, directed, uh, produced, co-produced with a buddy of mine, Joshua Valle, who uh, who produced with me at AFI also on a short we did called Snowplow. Um, but previous to that, uh, I mean, because, and I alluded to this or mentioned that I came from the punk and hardcore scene, a lot of the initial seeds were planted there back when I was 14, 15, seeing guys like that who we now, I don't know why, but call them alt-right when they're, they're Nazis, essentially, right? They're American Nazis. Um, those, those guys would come to these shows and kind of throw their weight around. And as a young person, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not only intimidating, but it's, it's also kind of like awe-inspiring in a strange way if you're coming of age to see that level of confidence enter a room, right? Um, and, and so 
long story short, over the next like eight years or so, as my bands were able to develop and grow and I had the mic on stage, I felt the responsibility to react to those guys when they entered the room, right? And so that uh, that whole experience for the better part of a decade was really me calling them out, um, me going toe to toe with them after shows, trying not to get hurt, <laughs> uh, but always calling them out and saying like, you're not welcome here. Like there's the door you go. And if you don't go on your own, we will f- push you out. Um, so that's where the film came from originally. And, uh, in terms of like the DNA of why me as the filmmaker for a project like this, with this subject matter, I think, uh, the resurgence, um, of those folks in the media and in our everyday lives uh, is what prompted the film now, right? So it was before the election, there was a rally in Orange County where this group of, uh, you know, American Nazis, white nationalists, whatever you want to call them, marched down a street in Orange County and they were just saying their slogans, you know, kind of to the ether or anyone who has listened. And, and of course there were counter protesters and Antifa folks there um, and just regular community members who were there to confront them. Um, and what happened on that incident, and you can watch the video, and some of it's used in the film, actually, it's real footage, uh, they, they end up getting beaten to the ground with two by fours. And, and so my initial reaction on seeing that footage coming out of Orange County was, well, first of all, if you're gonna march down the street and say that kind of stuff, like, I'm kind of rooting for you to get your comeuppance, right? Like, I'm kind of like, oh, if you're gonna do that, like, you're gonna get a reaction from people and, and you may not be pleased with rea- that reaction. My second impulse or reaction to that video was, I don't want to live in a world where people are beating the shit out of each other in broad daylight. You know, like I don't want to live in a world where someone based on their ideas, as repugnant as they might be, have to, has to get hit in the head with a two by four, uh, right? And which, which happened, you see the blood in the street. And then I got thinking even more as a filmmaker, I was like, but what if that was the plan? Like, what if that was their whole deal, right? Was to march in these cities, say the things they're going to say, take those beatings, uh, and use them as exhibit A for the case to the suburbanite about, see, I told you, they're violent, they're criminals, all these other things. And I thought, that's an easy plan to enact. Um, and in a social media environment, it could have effects that, that frankly scare me, right? Uh, and so some of that started to weave into a narrative that I was kind of crafting as I thought about this. Like, how would I react to that if that was the plan, you know, um, and building characters in, in that world out of that. So you started writing. So, so essentially, so I, I graduated from the AFI in 16. And I started writing that summer. Um, and then I came back to it in 17 and we started shooting. Okay. Yeah, so, but, but the casting process was long. You know, I, I wrote probably for four months. Um, just like, getting it right, getting the feel right. The whole time I knew it was going to be done in one continuous take. So that version of writing something was a lot different than the other kind of writing that I had done. You know, you write a, a feature that's not, doesn't have that production kind of approach. And you, you can do a lot of different stuff when you're doing it this way, when you're literally never going to cut. It can't work that way. So every scene has to feed into the next one. Every And, and good writing should do this anyway. But there's no cutting between locations and storylines, right? Like I can't be with two characters in their apartments and cut between them as they're on a phone call, for instance, right? So if I'm gonna have a phone call, it's gonna be one person on the phone and I'm only gonna hear one side of it. Um, And then if I wanna change character POV, I literally have to go with someone who's in the room, right? So there'll be handoffs and things like that. That's right, so. so Slackers. 
that Slackers, Lots of watching Slackers, Slackers did it really well. Um, you know, and watching other other film, I, I love Birdman. I think Birdman is, is a genius piece of work uh, for a lot of reasons. Even though they, they did not do what you did. Even the, <laughs> right, but they, but they did other things that I thought were right. really incredible, right? Like they took that script and they built that set around that script, walking with the act. Like Inarichi walks with those actors with the script and then tapes the ground and they build the set around. I mean, so that's amazing, yeah. right? Um, Victoria is another one that does it really well. Um, it's a foreign film. But anyway, so that's, that's kind of how the process went. So I had to cast for people who could do that. Um, and that casting process took several months. Yeah, that was, I mean, I kind of had this. This isn't the ordering. I kind of wanted to do this Inquisition. With the, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, bringing that up, like, this is your first feature. Right. Making your first feature is hard enough. Why, especially from the beginning, I can see getting the writing and, the, and then like maybe going like this just feels like it should work this way as right. I'm doing this. Yeah. From the outset, why give yourself that bigger hurdle? Yeah, I think from a structure standpoint. Yeah, know? I think I, I don't know that I ever saw another way. Right, like as right as as a writer, when you're writing, you 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 see the movie first. You see the movie before anyone else sees the movie in your head. That's what enables you to write it. So for me, I always saw the movie that way. I never saw the movie cutting somewhere else. Um, I saw us like locked with Meg and her performance as Blaze the entire time uh, until we get towards the baton past the end to the bad guy. Um, so I just always saw it that way. And 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 the fact that the fact that it it is a a trickier production approach uh, actually made some things easier and some things harder, right? So it, it streamlines a lot of challenges. Like, I have to be able to get from this place to this place in this amount of time, which means the scenes have to play at, like these lengths, right? Um, I know when I'm in a vehicle uh, that I have to be in a vehicle, for instance, that will allow a camera pass through the back window. So, like, all those really cool, like, mid-80s American sedans that I wanted, they're totally out because the windows didn't go down far enough. The camera and housing was 14 inches, or 13 and a half, and so I needed a window that was, like, 14, 14 and a half, right? So we yeah, had, that's the definition of case study benefit to this this type of question set that's like, right so, so like, so like when you, so, and, and, and every aspect of it right so you look you start looking at cameras and 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 lenses you know my dc my dp rasa partin you know he's he's shot on all kinds of stuff and he has his taste and what he likes and uh, what, what he feels comfortable with but he he came up in the dock space so i knew that he was very very much equipped to kind of run and gun which this requires but then when we got down to cameras basically two cameras and they're both cannons that and we needed the camera to have card space to run an entire take and battery life to run an entire take um so we ended up with the canon c300 mark ii i mean that's the same camera they used for victoria so ross actually contacted the dp from victoria and talked to him a little bit over email uh, about how he prepped and how he was able to work so then it's great because then he's got someone he can kind of like shoot questions off of and that guy was super helpful um, and then, you know, from there, it's like, okay, well, what lens are we going to be on? Because you have one lens, right? So I don't have to pick a bunch of lenses for different scenes. So we go to Panavision and do lens testing and basically figure out very quickly we're going to be on a 24. And so then I'm choosing between 24s, right? So we ended up being on a, on a Primo V24 um, that was beautiful, that allowed me to get what I wanted in terms of close-ups. I wanted to be able to put the camera right on an actor's face and see the light on their lips, um, and that was the lens that did that, right? So, so a lot of those choices that seem like they, you could kind of hem and haw over them forever, 
they're really just dictated, made yeah. yeah they're really just made easy by the fact that like oh you right. made this initial choice absolutely so I mean I mean it I, like a lot of people go oh that's crazy and for me I'm like no it was great like <laughs> you know like I didn't have to think about a lot of things so you end up thinking about other things in a more specific way like choreography um, you know ex- entrances and exits and how to direct an actor while they're acting without them reacting to you because right so yeah you mentioned there was what was it the spit in the mouth thing or whatever you're having yeah so yeah yeah there's this there's this scene where the actress uh, the lead she um, misplaced a prop which is this vial containing spit it's a dna sample from our lead bad guy and we're in the scene he's acting he's looking for her in a house he's got the gun drawn and she she's hiding because she's gonna appear at a certain point and she leans over she's like i don't have the spit i don't have it right and i'm like where is it and she's like doesn't matter i don't have it She's totally right, by the way. It didn't matter because she didn't have it. Um, <laughs> we later found it in a car. She lost it in transit in this Rube Goldberg production. And uh, so she, so I'm thinking on the spot, my, you know, and I know what needs to happen. And so I lean over to her and I was like, well, because he's supposed to dump it in her mouth. He's supposed to like unscrew it because she had him spit in it earlier in the film. And he's supposed to dump it in her mouth. And it was fake spit in the vial, of course. Um, and I said, well, he's just going to spit in your mouth. Is that okay? And she's like, oh, yeah, of course. And I was like, okay great and I looked to, to Joe who plays Bryce and I said Joe she doesn't have the the prop you're gonna spit in her mouth right and he's he's like he didn't even say anything he just blinked which told me he was he knew what to do and they did it and it was and I was like I can't believe this is happening uh and I and I was still unsure about it even after we finally cut and got that take and then I, I watched it on the monitor and I, I looked at my keys because the cast would go off and have snacks and get to know each other more uh, and they were all covering their faces, like like they were so grossed out. Exactly. And I was like, "Oh, I got real, it." Real reaction. I got yeah. it. Like that. No, I, like, I think Stephen King said this. Like, if you can't scare someone or terrorize them, at least gross them out, right? And, <laughs> yeah, and so I heard Stephen, very and, Stephen I, King. Yeah, I heard Stephen King in my head going, "Like, at least you got a gross." Like, right. you know, you no, gotta, I got. I gotta be honest with you, man. The you know, that's a fantastic story too, and it's great problem solving. Like in the moment, there's a million things about that that are cool. But when you had this in the Q and A, and you and you said this, yeah. a little part of me was was kind of sad because I wanted you to go. Oh, no, I wrote that in from the beginning. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm that savage. Yeah, you know, it's, well, I thought. I mean, I think spit is disgusting, right? right. Just in general, even if I have you know, just in the street, just you know. I, well, especially you know, I mean, too, you know, where that is in the story, like that's, it's particularly impactful, right? Because they're know? a love story, and you kind of actually believe in the love story a little bit. Like just a little bit, and so even you know reneging on that, um, and, and especially in that way, you know, it's just well, I mean, we're, but where that you know we go in the story, what's happening in that specific moment, like got it, yeah, 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 yeah. there would be just a physical repulsion. That, that's right, you know that. That's right. Uh, is particularly well. It's funny. I mean, and and they're you know they do such a great job in the film. But afterwards, you know, I went and saw them, and I said, okay, so do you have the problem? She's like, oh no, no, no we're just going to do it that way every way, every time. Now we talked about yeah. it. Well, good actor, like, dude. They, like, okay. A good actor can feel when it feels good. I was like, you know, okay. or when it's good, you know. Copy that. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, cool. So uh, we'll get back into a lot of the kind of the production nuts and bolts stuff. But sure. uh, real quick, this every you know. Uh, independent filmmaker wants to know some of this and you don't and I'm not asking for numbers here just sure. percentages but how much time was spent fundraising and what percentages came from what types of funding so like crowdfunding equity yeah whatever zero grants, zero you know. time was spent fundraising uh, so <laughs> I essentially so what happened is I I I wrote I wrote this script that won a contest uh, that had a pretty pretty decent cash prize and I put that in the bank and I, I told myself when I graduate, I'm going to go shoot my own short as a director. 
um, you know, I think a lot of people do this, like that'll be my calling card, or whatever. But I, it, like, because I was the AFI, and, and collectively we make in that first year eighty four short films while crewing on each other's sets, and in the second year we make twenty eight, but they're larger scale and bigger budgets. I couldn't bring myself to make another short, and so I essentially was like, well, cool. Why don't I just make a feature, right? And I think I saw an article somewhere in my feed that was like, have have this much money, make a feature, right? And I was like, well, that's there's a, crazy. There's a book called. Uh, one of the one of the first like low budget books I've read was called uh, "Feature Filmmaking at Used Car Prices." I think is that's that. hilarious. <laughs> so basically yeah, that, yeah, yeah. and and so I read it and I was like, oh shit, I could do this. Right. Like I could absolutely do this. And and what's interesting about it is you know when you really and, and I, this is not wisdom from on high. This is like and I think every real storyteller and filmmaker knows this. It's not about how much you spend. It's about what the story is and if it's executed in a way that. that impacts people whether you know it makes them sad or angry or happy or disgusted like it has an effect on them right and so good storytelling uh is not budget dependent that's right right. it's it's free actually it's just really hard to figure it out and then it's it's so so where the money does matter though is but can i execute in the way that i see the film in my head and that's a whole different conversation and and that's a lot of that is about vision it's about psychology it's about pragmatism um so so yeah, so I so I put that money away, decided okay, I'm just gonna try and shoot a feature this way, and then I started thinking like, well, how can I do that? What is it like, you know? And I, and at the same time, the story was already kind of starting to spin its wheels a little bit, and I you know I saw that footage and I'm like, oh, like, and that footage is all on a phone, right? It's like, oh, I can shoot on a phone. And I was like, well, wait, do I have to? Because Rasa, they love him at Panavision, like maybe they'll cut him like a no budget deal, which they did, right? They I think they charge us like a grand yeah we got we got our we got an alexa for all ask for jane through our cinematographer for that's right that's right and, and we were at Panavision like <laughs> gave us i mean like this is not i'm not stumping for them it's just legit like they gave us you know three days of lens testing at panavision and then a full package for three weeks for a thousand bucks and like that's because they love rasa as a dp that's as simple as that they believe in him he you know he was nominated at camera homage the year before for this short he made called the fair with my buddy santi directing they just loved his work right and it, and it comes through in our film like he's incredible so you know building the team of folks who i knew were super talented who could harness their resources in a way that didn't feel like they were exploiting their people was really critical right like i knew rasa could build a camera team and a ge department that would want to work for him um, because it's him, right? right? Not because, you know, maybe they're going to get $250 for their day rate uh, once we sell the movie, mm-hmm. right? Like, they, everyone basically knows you're not getting paid unless it, some miracle happens. Right. Yeah. yeah. Deferred, deferred compensation is... Uh, and my production designer, Dory, yes. same thing. Like, she was able to harness... She was um, ended up going to the AFI later, um, but she was able to harness those folks, you know, to come work on a feature, on a one-take feature, right? So, like, even those things helped build the team because they're like, oh, fuck, I want to go to that island. Yeah. That's a rare island to go to. <laughs> right. When am I going to get to do that again? They at least have balls. <laughs> I mean, they have something, you know, moxie, chutzpah, uh, larger-than-life ovaries. I don't know what it is. But, they, but I think part of the production approach is, was the incentive, right? It's like, when am I going to get to do that? Like, it's not just an indie feature. It's like, I get to do this. Right. So it helps. It helped build the team. Cool. Uh, it's funny you say that you, you did do some, you had read, you know, an article that inspired you on the low um, or even micro-budget filmmaking front budget wise yeah because uh, what I was going to ask when you were saying uh, how you from the get go 
chose to make it this one take thing yeah. to complicate your problem set for this yeah. initial feature. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you must not have read many horror stories, like a bunch of horror stories. No. Nope. <laughs> No, but you said you did read some, so... I mean... <laughs> I, like, look, I, I, I watched Birdman and went, fuck, that's awesome. I watched Rope and went, like, that's super cool. I watched Victoria. I'd already seen Victoria. And I was like, you know, they did it, right? And, like, I think Victoria shot for 250 but they shot over several months. Um, they didn't do their takes back-to-back. They did them, you know, like, one take and then notes and reorganization, and they went two weeks later or something like that, um, which is great. And, and it shows on the screen. Like, they have these very complicated sequences with you know police and guns and you know it's it's incredible what they did so we were like i have not seen that so i was like i can do this but i can do it at at a different scale with a subject matter that feels a bit more raw a bit a bit more um like i I hate to use the word gritty but you know that in its approach right so so that so that the the constraints would feel like part of the thing right it's it, it intentionally has an aesthetic that lends itself to the the scale of its of the budget Right, like it's not like we were trying to make it. Like I love Chris Nolan, like, right? It's one of my favorite filmmakers. But you look at the following, and you look at Memento, right? Totally different. And he knew what he was doing because he knew what he had in the following. They're shooting on weekends. I think they shot it for you know six to eight grand or something um, while they were at film school in London. And then you look at Memento. That's a million dollar indie feature uh, with a name cast, right? And it, and the production is clear, right? And then you look at his next movie and his, and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so whatever you have lean into that, because if he had tried to do a memento on that budget, it wouldn't have been what it was. It wouldn't right. have looked as good. Right. It would, no, have, you, it would have looked like a joke. Yeah. Right? You have to be able to write for what your means are. No but, question. But, but it, it's, and that's part of the job. It's you know? part of the job. And I, and I think a lot of people either don't know that or they, or they just, they get caught up in their vision and stuck there. And so right. then they're like, oh, but it has to be this. And, and, you know, we've done the festival circuit and been lucky enough to see a lot of other filmmakers stuff at this range. Um, and I can tell you, there's only a couple directors who I've seen do Q&As that actually really get it because, because they, they can say like, look, like I, I saw it this way, but I knew I couldn't get there. So like, how could I get the thing to look as good as it could? Um, without you know sacrificing everyone's time and effort, who's right. not getting paid probably. Yep. Right? No. Yeah. The, I mean, you know, that's. I hate to go negative, man, but I saw a couple films where I was like, "You had no business trying to achieve this," and and the audacity is inspiring, and right. I, I respect the ambition, but like also, you wasted all of these people's time because right. you didn't achieve what whatever your vision was. Or realistic the about what the means were. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you know, I guess I. Well, it's tough because you as a director, as a filmmaker and a producer, like you have a responsibility to your actors to make the best thing possible, right? So, yeah, they're, they're working for hopefully scale. <laughs> if, 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 if that, and if they're killing themselves to get a performance and they're working with you and they're, and they're putting it all out there in a scene and then the production design looks like garbage, the acting doesn't matter because the audience is way too distracted to even notice they're performing, right? And so I just, I couldn't do that, especially to these actors. I was just like, there's no way, like. It has to be about them, so let's make it, let's build it around them. Yeah, no, it is, you know, because I do, I wear a ton of hats. I write, direct, produce, I do all these different things. So, like, but I do come at every one of them, maybe because of the, I've done so much producing, and maybe even because I come from a finance background, I'm always looking at it from a fiscal perspective to some degree or another, like... Uh, again, I, I kind of mentioned like who the filmmakers I'm inspired by. Like, I, yeah, it, it is. It's part of the job now because there's less money out there to make these things. Steven Soderbergh 
has a new movie on Netflix, right? High Flying Bird. He shot it on an iPhone. Does Steven Soderbergh have to shoot a movie yeah. on an iPhone ever? No, he does not, right? And it's now his second. He did Unsane before that with Claire Foy, right? Mm-hmm. And Boyle's worked lean, too. He doesn't need to work lean, either. And, yeah, I mean, it's, no. yeah, yeah, it's no your responsibility. It's not... Pissing the money against the wall is not part of the job anymore, right? no, well, <laughs> or it, part of the luxury of well, it. Anymore. Yeah, not only that, but it's just like you know, like, and and maybe this is a thing that directors should say to each other more often. But like, look, you have a responsibility to your actors to make sure their performances are the best that they can be, and that no one is distracted by the other shit that you're trying to get in there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because when it comes down to it, it only matters if the performances are good, right? Like, so. It can be the prettiest thing ever. If you don't have that, it will not work. No That's question. right. right. <laughs> yeah, you'll get exactly... I could have gotten exactly the 84 sedan that I wanted, but if the engine breaks down while we're in the middle of a scene because, you know... Or if the camera's <laughs> smashing into the window trying to get That's right. That's right. Time, yeah. Or because of the size of the vehicle, if the actor can drive it and perform at the same time, right. it doesn't work. So yeah. it's a good thing we have power steering in those vehicles, right? Yeah. No doubt, no doubt. Okay, so uh, actual nuts and bolts. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just fire these off, and you can fire their quick answers. Ooh. How many shoot days? Three. How many script pages? 37. Number of speaking roles? 11. Average daily crew headcount? 35. Number of locations? Three. Estimated cost per plate for meals and from whom those meals were sourced? Joshua Valle <laughs> is my co-producer, and he was in charge of that. <laughs> he had to do it. So though, I yeah. can tell you, uh, six fifty. Okay. Uh, and I don't remember; it's in the credits. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it was so it was actual catering. This is not that's not the answer actual to every catering. one of these. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Actual catering okay. for sure. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I, I will say the first night we did order a pizza. Okay. And, and like only because uh, was this a rehearsal night or the first night of shooting? No, first night of shooting, and, and it was like two in the morning, and and Cass was like, "Can we just get some fucking pizza in here?" And so I was like, "Joshua, can we get some fucking pizza?" Like, <laughs> and sure enough, like twenty pizzas showed up. Right. Awesome. So. Cool. Yeah, it's funny to be like that. I think yeah. we sent people home with like full pizzas too. Like it's not like it's not like we were trying to be cheap. It was just like people wanted pizza. So. Right. Right. Uh, I don't know the G and E wanted pizza, but that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I listen to the act. You can't make everyone. Happen. I know. I know. Uh, no, yeah, it's it's funny to me to have that one in there, like all those like super serious components Esoteric of the production, stuff, yeah, and then yeah. like how much how much of your food? It's, it also, too, because food is such is like the baseline provision for creating a work environment that is yeah. actually going to be productive. <laughs> yeah. It's you so know? funny too because we bought stuff that never got eaten. You know, this happens everywhere but like never gets eaten and like coffee that doesn't Dude, that's why I, lo- I production manage all the things I produce usually. So I, that, that puts me in charge of the crafty purchases. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like we, we spend the... Like, so when the shit doesn't get eaten I take yeah, it Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you spend the five bucks to get the butt can and no one smokes and you're like, yeah, but fire coat. Like, Right. I was trained under like SAG kind of guidelines for, for set. And so, mm-hmm. yes, there's a fire extinguisher and a safety manual in the mm-hmm. hospital on the top and, of the call and sheet. And a first right? aid kit. All of that is yeah. right there. Um, but then when no one uses it, you don't use it. You're like, well, that was $150 that I could have put into something else. Yeah. Yeah, there are some. I mean, more... I can say that our, our, our um, production insurance was our biggest line item. Yeah. 18% of the budget was our production insurance. And we haggled to get that production insurance deal as best we could. And I, I wonder, I won't obviously ask you no, here, no, no. but I have a guess in my mind of what your total budget is now. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, finance person, it's good that you know that. Uh, okay. Um, okay, and then, okay, you mentioned you're in the festival run. Uh, yeah. But maybe just... Uh, 
estimate and answer the question, where at in the production timeline flowchart are you? So you said you well into the produ- the festival run. Festival circuit, yeah. Are you, is there a distribution angle planned or? Yeah, I mean, we, so we sold non-US. We, we, we've gotten a few offers as we've done festivals. Um, they're, they're, very, they're varied. It's the Wild West, as, as a lot of people in this bracket understand. Um, you know, there are a couple of key pieces of advice that, that I got from, from folks who've been down this road before. One of them was, if you can get an advance, get it, right? Um, seemingly impossible these days to get any kind of advance. Um, but that's a good piece of advice. Well, not because of the money, but because it, it, it puts skin in the game for whoever's contract you're signing. And so they're incentivized to try and sell uh, if they've already paid. Um, and that was important to me. Um, and then, and then the other part of it is the other piece of advice that I got that's been really important is like really having a gut check about your priorities for the project, right? Is your number one priority exposure or is it paying off your deferred contracts to all the people who made the film? Because those are two different things, right? Mm -hmm. Getting a lot of people to see the movie doesn't mean getting a lot of money or any money for the movie. does not. But if your your priority (laughs) is money, then you make different choices about who you're going to sign with and and what that's going to look like. For me, a big priority with this, because of the subject matter, was finding a partner who seemed to understand the context that we're operating in, in terms of our media landscape, um, and how they could position the film uh, and navigate what could be a very frustrating process for them, right? So if we saw it, because, because of what we're making and what the movie says and depicts, there could be very easily a distributor who comes on, takes the movie, they go VOD, they window it to iTunes first, right? And then the alt-right gets on and jams it down to like a 2% in the reviews section, then no one's renting it or watching it, right? So there's no money. Um, so how, so my questions for a lot of people we met with, you know, we went to AFM and I was like, so what do we do in that scenario? And just like, like, so first I'm seeing, have they even thought about that? Right? Which tells me whether or not they understand the subject matter and the context we're operating in. And if they have, and that was really easy to tell, by the way, because when they just stared at me, like you're staring at me now, like, yeah, how would you deal with that? <laughs> uh, but I was like, oh shit, they're not prepared. And that's not to say they couldn't get prepared. Um, but, you know, right. look, like you want to buy the movie. So you seem Do to think you know. Homework. So you Do seem to think you know you can sell it, <laughs> yeah. right? And so, like, how, like, are you prepared for that? Because this isn't. You know, um, it, it, it's not just like a, a revenge thriller or, you know, something, you know, a sci-fi piece that doesn't push any buttons. Like, we push buttons the entire movie. So I, I think knowing that was really important. Um, and then second to that was the exposure piece for me. It was like, I want people to see those performances. I want them to see Ross's work as a DP. Um, it's, that was really critical because they invested so much time and effort that I want them to be rewarded. Even if it's not financially, I want them to get other work. And luckily, that's happened for some of those folks, right? So, like, Rasa went and got hired to shoot another one-take short for a, a young director. That's great, right? Um, and he got paid his day rate. So, and, and it was this that got him that. Um, so, so those were my priorities in, in approaching that. And then, uh, but when it came down to that conversation with the company that won a worldwide, we ultimately, as a team, we decided that we would, for now, give them all non-US, and, and we needed to think about the, the US part a little more closely. Um, because there are so many options and opportunities here in the US. It's like, I'm and so not, much if you're just going to digital landscape, if, if they're not offering a, you know, any sort of... Uh, anything. Tradi- you know, any else, especially yeah. if there's no advance or whatever for the domestic component of it, like, and they're not going to 
put it uh, in at least a few major cities theatrically and, and foot that P&A, like, what the, they're putting it on platforms that literally a chimpanzee can put it on. That's right. <laughs> like, like, you can pay a grand right. and go to Quiver, yep. right, and choose the platforms you want, and then, you, like, you pay them their fee, and then you And they get... do the same thing. And, like, those, most of these companies don't spend any advertising. That's right. They might have some... But uh, they'll write it into the contract, as an allowance, right? Like they'll write. Like, oh yeah, the expenses. They'll be like, and all, oh yeah, yeah, like oh, we're yeah. gonna spend ten thousand on marketing. Right. Like really? Well, that's like, like that's exactly the, the you know I that's why when you said it, I'm over here shaking my finger like yeah 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 like the um, I'm not an expert on this at all by the way like this is all just like learning because of the situation. Well, dude, there's no way other way to fucking know anything about it other than to sit there and have those people talk to you. Uh, I've done it a ton, and yeah, yeah, the you know the if they're not willing to put up any money, like I you know certainly I've done done deals where we didn't get an advance right and uh what i always mandate in those cases i'd rather just self-distribute they're not willing to put anything up like i'll i'll, I'll try to push off you know yeah. cost yeah, or yeah. just something that's right where i see an actual cash outlay that's right. for them to sign this paperwork that's right otherwise what incentive do they have they can just throw it against the wall and see if it sticks and even then if it does stick what did they do to warrant their cut of that stick that's like right. you know what i mean or even their credit Right. Yeah. Right. Like even putting their name attached to the film. Right. So I mean, we like. I mean, we're happy. We're ha- like we're very enthusiastic about our partners for non-US. I mean, they're they're at EFM right now. Uh, you know, selling for us, which which is something that we weren't prepared or able right. to do. Like we weren't going to go to Berlin or go to yeah. Cannes and do that work. The traditional foreign sales is impossible. You have to have a partner. You can't unless you're lucky and, and work maybe in the field or something and have those connections because it is so much just literally micro transactions right. and micro relationships. That's right. Where it's just person to person and they know those two those well, people. And by you know. the way, I'm 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 not in the distribution business. I'm a writer director. Yeah. I want to so, make movies, right? So so I'm <laughs> I'm busy working on my next four projects, right? So like the the time and energy it would take me to learn how to do that, fly to Berlin or Cannes on my own dime, and shake hands and be like, oh, I got a movie, like check it out, right? As opposed to somebody who goes there every year. They're, they might even do aggregate business where they sell our title with four other titles as a package to Korea or wherever. But that's not a, that's not a negative. That's, that's a not a negative. It's great, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. And and we were able to to work out some thresholds that felt really good for us and and their filmmakers also, which was part of the process. Like they they weren't just because we got some offers from people who were like, we want it for fifteen years. Here's here's it was a, it was a mill essentially. Like they're building their library, um, and you can tell very quickly. Ad- Adler. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of them. I'll say Adler. There's fuck a bu- Adler. There's but. a bunch. Of them. There's a bunch. <laughs> yeah, of them, there is though, a bunch. Right, and, but Adler's like the. Well, and then and, and the whole thing is, is like they they're building a, a bank that they can sell then to somebody else. Like, they, like so, if they want to go out of business, they can just sell the library because then they can they can essentially make the case that the library of all these independent films has value, whether it does or not. Mm-hmm. But they can say that it does. So, um, you know, it's and again, I'm learning this all as it happens in real time. Uh, so hopefully, I'll have better understanding in a week. Um, but so right now we're looking for that for that U.S. partner. Um, we continue to have conversations in our team uh, about who that is. It could end up being the same company that is doing the non-U.S. Yeah. It very well could. You know, we'll, we'll see how things go with them. And that Dude, was, I mean, don't that don't shy away like, from the idea of just doing it yourself too, because I mean, honestly. Well, that's looking at what your options are, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But that's right. So, but but that's then a whole the, different conversation. That's right. And somebody in our team, you know, was like, "Why don't we do it ourselves?" And my reaction was, uh, especially with the social 
justice component to it. Right. There's a lot of things that you can do. There's a lot of tie-ins. Yeah. That's right. But but my thing was like, do you have the time to do that? Like <laughs> yeah. like are you gonna like right, and right. who's doing the like social media ad buys on Instagram and Facebook? Right. Like who's doing that outlay after you pay Quiver or whoever mm-hmm. else? Yeah. You know. So those are just questions that we're still wrestling with. Totally. But. Cool. Um. So. These are okay. So yeah, we're out of kind of the structure of the project and awesome the yeah we can t- talk specifics here about the about your experience making this thing uh yeah. the the most notable constraint uh in making this and, and i don't you know money is obvious but right what did not having enough of that make most difficult for you specifically yeah i think the you know the thing i would have loved to have had that i didn't have was the opportunity to secure locations the week in advance to and and also my cast to pay to be able to pay them up front so that we could do rehearsed on location run throughs of the project and that I think that's you know critical in a lot of productions but super critical for something attempting what we attempted right like to be able to actually physically move through the spaces in a one take feature um, that would allow us to prepare light and allow us to prepare camera in a way that um, we kind of had to figure out in each take. So if we had had that opportunity to do to do run-throughs um, before ever actually recording something that might end up being the movie, that's the thing I would have wanted. That's interesting to say that because uh, one of the things I was really impressed by was the... Uh, credit to me, you've talked him up a great deal, so clearly he's good at what he does. Yeah. Uh, and I saw the movie, and I already know that, actually, without you saying it. But the I was really impressed by the, the presence of those two contrasting light tones. You have the blue sure. and, and the orange at all times. and sure. you know, I felt like they were like mirroring each side of the frame yeah. in one way or another at all times. And to me, to be able to style the light yeah. that much yeah. in something that is one continuous take, right. to me, was hyper impressive <laughs> thanks, thanks man I mean yeah. it was it was super intentional you know I, I you know as a, as a director of course I had references and and so Ross and I talked about those references and then you know as, as a true DP who knows his stuff he came back and said okay here's what I'm thinking for this here's what I'm thinking for this environment um, for this point in the script you know I think the biggest and 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 he was matching my references like to a T it was it was fantastic but the the point where I was I realized how lucky I was was when he was asking for money for lights for the house scene which is like you know three quarters of the way into the film um and I was like look I'm sorry, we just don't have it. Like, we've got, you've got enough lights for, like, you've got enough money for, like, two keynotes. Please tell me you didn't have a, a light move mid-take. We had lots of light moves during the take, <laughs> for sure. Take, um, but, like, uh, well, because people were going down the street, and so we have someone literally carrying Well, I mean, you know, yes, but I, I mean, like... Oh, actual, like... like yeah, yeah, I mean, some adjustment during take on Walkie, but no, so so he, so the reason, I, the reason I mentioned this is because when I found out I was lucky is he comes to me and he says, okay... I understand we don't have the money to get the lights exactly how I want them. What if we just take that money, we get those two, and we put them in through this back window because the, the location had a bunch of windows. We'll play the house for power out because narratively it should be power out because she hasn't been back here in a while and her mom's been gone, right? So no one's paying those bills. And the fact that he had dug into the story to figure that out 
um, in a way that narratively made sense that he could then also execute from a, a logistics point of view for camera I was just like you're a gene like you're incredible like yeah. that's exactly how it should be regardless of how much money we I think have you already answered one of my later questions with that yeah no, like that's, I mean, that's, that's I mean that's exactly how it should have been even without like if we had had the money it wouldn't have mattered like that was the answer right right but that's again what I was saying earlier how if you'd had the money you might have never got to asking him to solve that's that right. problem you know that's and that's right. one of the interesting things about low-budget filmmaking is how it can positively influence uh and that is ex- honestly actually the exact next question was <laughs> a memorable a memorable benefit yeah. of of that you know exactly that so was that and then we you know you know because the camera housing was the way it was in terms of its size it, it you know my joshua vi who co-produced he went to like five different picture vehicle places to try and find something that we, you know, like literally asking the people at those places to tape measure the window and send us pictures to prove. Cause they're like, 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 like it'll fit, it'll fit, it'll fit. And, and, and Joshua had the you know presence of mind and produced enough to be like, I need photos with a tape measure showing me the actual, you know, size so the camera and housing can fit through. Otherwise, I can't get this vehicle. I'm sorry, right? And luckily, we had enough people do that, and they were like, oh, yeah. And so then they started looking for windows that went down 14 mm-hmm. inches. Um, but ultimately, it ended up being my DP's car because, you know, his went down, and so we saved that money there. Absolutely. Right? So. Yep. Funny, funny stuff. The uh, Going back to the location thing. Yeah. I wanted to ask, so there, are, there are just those three locations in the film. Yeah. Uh, was that all just on one cul-de-sac? No. No, they were spread out. Okay. They're legitimate drives, and, okay. it, it, and it was challenging because the, I had been up there um, for like two months timing the drives. I would go up, it was in, we shot in Santa Clarita, okay. um, and so I would go up there, I'd be at location one, I would drive uh, the speed limit, of course, to location two, with a stopwatch, right? And and I did it over and over and over again because I knew if I hit all the green lights, it was six minutes, and I knew if I got held up at this one intersection that it was gonna be 11 minutes, Just right? Could, Which could, is like, could be a bigger difference in the setting of a film. Right, it's like, it's like so the scene doubles in its, like it doubles in size all of a sudden, so then the actors have to perform twice as long in a, in a moment where the material isn't built for that. So I had to so I had to build in that opportunity so and prepare with the actors to say like, okay, if we hit this light, like you've got a pocket of other stuff to go into, right? And we ended up hitting that light in the take. So I, it was essential that we had that to go into. So one of the characters, Henry, who ends up getting shot, he gives this whole big long speech, right? And it's very it's very scripted. For for a film that feels very improvisational most of the time, this feels like a speech, right? A prepared speech. Um, and that was because we hit a light. Mm-hmm. We just we that's, hit, that's, we hit, that's a good speech, though. So it's I consider, oh, he's, consider that a blessing. What's crazy is he he's he's a great actor, a very young, talented actor. His father passed away two days uh, before rehearsal started, so he never even rehearsed with anybody. He literally showed up to he even sent me tapes, and I would give him notes. Not tapes. So he'd send me you know recordings, uh, uh, email them to me, and I'd give him notes to send them back. But he showed up to set, and the other cast was like, is this guy for real? Like, is he actually going to be in this movie? You know, because he hasn't been in rehearsal. Right. Um, and he came in and, and unloaded that speech, and I was like, That's wow. Part. That's yeah. crazy. Absolutely. Crazy. That's actually something we haven't touched on, and we probably should have, again, just for context of what the production environment was. This was a 37-page script? Yeah, that's right. Said, yeah. yeah. Uh, not, yeah, a fully detailed Well, so there's two yeah. things there that could get me in trouble. But uh, So the first thing is... 
our SAG agreement was technically a SAG student agreement, in which case for our budget range, the script could not be more than 37 pages. Really? It was like the rule, right? Okay. Um, so that's the script we submitted with our SAG agreement. Totally. So it's not an accident that it was 37 pages. It's okay. like I went to Joshua and said, you've worked with SAG. What is the, the maximum? What is the that's, maximum? That's where, you know, there's also there's the places you can cut corners. A good producer who knows the, 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 the waters of each of those agreements, especially in this low-budget realm. You know, the ULB, the new media, the student, the short right. is... Also, Genuinely priceless. <laughs> also made possible because the AFI signed off on a letter for us for our insurance, uh, for all kinds of other things because we had graduated and they give you a grace period, a window of you know, like six to eight months essentially to use their relationships around town. Putting those tuition dollars to work. To get, <laughs> to get discounts. To yeah. get discounts to get, so I could walk into Universal and get props for 60% off. Right, because of the relationship with the AFI, and because we were technically not, we didn't have our degrees in hand. We were technically students, technically. Although we had already walked, you know, Tarantino shook my hand at graduation, and I was like, "Cool, I have graduated." Right, um, but not really, right? Because my the my thesis production hadn't finished yet. We hadn't. It was, we weren't locked or anything. So, so it was only because of that we could even qualify for the SAG student agreement because we were technically still students. But even you know. Problem solving, problem solving. However, hook or crook, right? (laughs) Um, Okay, so do you recall an instance of someone else in the production overcoming low-budget constraints we're sharing? Uh, And I guess maybe you've already done this with With DP. Uh, Maybe is there another example? I mean, obviously obviously, uh, my co-producer did it at every turn. He was like, I would get these calls where he'd be like, are you sure we can't have like another thousand dollars, right? And and I, I had to say nope, like we cannot. Like I am sure. To answer your question, I am absolutely sure. We, well, that's we, that's fu- that's a funny. Um... So then he would be like, okay, okay, and I and I would I wouldn't even ask what he needed it for. I was like, I, it, it didn't matter, right? And I think holding that line as the as a self funder and as a co producer was super critical because if if I had started to say, oh yeah, like well, what's it for? Oh, that seems important. Right, it's kind of like planning a, an event or a wedding, right? And you're like, oh well, I kind of want that. Like maybe I'll spend, and you end up ballooning this project, and instead, you know, forcing people. So he got creative on all on all kinds of fronts, um, including a locations front, right? Like, so there's a scene where they drive out, and they're gonna drag this character, uh, Nate Stroud's character, Domino, behind the back of a van by chains, right? So we had to find a lot, like a dirt lot, where this cargo van could essentially do donuts. Um, and, and drive away and so we had a location Joshua locked it it was like 1200 bucks that's like an expensive location um, to, to do that to like yeah, essentially show up a, do a few donuts and drive away like especially because we're only going to use it like twice or maybe three times in a night for 10 minutes each time so we're literally paying a whole night rate for a half an hour of shooting so uh, so we went around and we, we were location scouting for other houses and there was a dirt lot across the street with like some trailers and some other housing that didn't quite look like people gave a shit and I just said we could do this right here right um, and so we then went practice each weekend and did donuts there and made a lot blared the music I took my my, my vehicle and did donuts uh, when I couldn't get anyone and no one ever called the police and I was like cool cancel that location we're going to save that $1,200 we're just going to steal this location 
is it legal? No, it is not. Uh, did it help us? Yes, it did. Right. Um, Dory uh, Deferger, our production designer, same thing. She made do with what she had. She was like, I don't like the way this room is. I'm going to go you know, get some wood paneling from, from a friend who had a production that they just wrapped on. We're going to you know, cover this wall in this old wood paneling. I mean, those environments were totally transformed. Nothing in those environments existed before she got to them. But she was able to beg, borrow, and steal to make that happen. Same with costumes, right? $500 is what she had to work with her costumes. That's it. And she made it work, right? So she did a great job. Everyone just, like, did a great job. Right. Yeah, it's amazing what uh, good personnel who frequently work in the space, the, the, you know, their acumen with sourcing. <laughs> just, like, amazing things with nothing is... is well, you have to have some... Art in particular. There's so many of my films where it's like, I'm like, how the fuck did the art person accomplish this? That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and, and the departments work well together. So Rasa and Dory, you know, DP and production designer, were like, okay, well, if we're going to light this space with practicals, it's like, okay, well, I just need to put, like, a couple of yellow lights in this, you know, kitchen overhead so that it's this bright yellow instead of a bright white. And then she's like, okay, well, that means I can actually get away with, with w- get away with more visually because the light's going to be different. So the actual props and set deck that I need don't have to be as elaborate um, or as interesting as maybe they would in a traditionally lit scene. Right? Because the lighting choices were so extreme, it allowed Dory some leeway in her production design. Uh, the biggest mistake you've personally made on this production. That feels existential. Uh, <laughs> God, no one's ever asked that. You yeah. know, it's so funny. As filmmakers, we're just like... We no, either... no one has the balls to put you on the spot. I, I make mistakes all the time, yeah, so I don't I, mind I asking think, other people's. Uh, <laughs> it's a good question that I... Uh, you know, that's one I wish I had a little more time to think about. I would say... Uh, you know, well, these aren't commandments that we're laying down here. It's no, of course not. <laughs> no, of course not. But I, I would love to be thoughtful and useful to anyone who who would have to take the time to listen. I I think that maybe the biggest mistake was, and this this is going to sound like something you've heard before because it probably is, was not really thinking about the sales and marketing stuff in advance. Like really not putting much thought into that at all because all of my energy was focused into just like making the thing that, for instance, I didn't have a behind the scenes photographer. I was going to ask if you had a photographer that is right. Like it's like it's like in it, producing one on one, you'll never you'll never man. get them back. You'll never get that situation back. You know, well, and and it's not like we didn't think about it. It's it just we thought about it too late to lock the right person. Right. Mm-hmm. So so then when we found so then when so we had just some, a PA snapping shit. That's right. So then, <laughs> but because of this production, like. We, we had to keep it as thin as we could so that we wouldn't accidentally get somebody in the shot. So then we had someone, and he canceled the day off. And it was just like, great, there goes all my behind-the-scenes stills except for the things that people snap on their phones, right? Yeah. And that was super annoying. Uh, because tough. now people, are, people want that material. So they want them in press kits for festivals. Shit, yeah. Distributors want them. They want to make a thing of that. We don't have them. So, I mean, the bit, that's a bit... And, and also, we didn't build a community or audience for the film we shot it so we're doing that work now right and that work is takes time it just takes time yep so you know if we had that then when we make announcements or festival things happen we already have a people we're talking to mm-hmm. now we're finding the people to talk to as we're doing that right yeah but that's you know that's a, a, a I guess a champagne problem for the indie filmmaker because the movie's done so <laughs> and that was always the priority There's a, you can't hear it too, too many times though so it's good to hear it from uh, yeah. a specific filmmaker that's made the mistake. I've also, I also never had to do it before so I didn't know. Right. People told me 
I should have read more of those horror stories, dude. God. And you wouldn't have even done the movie. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I already asked about the locations. Um, all right, so, you know, most indies have zero rehearsal time. That's a luxury that most indies never get. Everyone sure. just kind of kind of show up and do their job. Sure. Uh, and, and you hope you can work through whatever those lack of familiarities uh, might present. Uh, yeah. In your case, it was integral. So, like, That's right. you know, I, I guess talk to me about planning the rehearsal component of it and would you say in hindsight that you planned enough of it? Uh, were there concessions you had to make because, you know, like that's a, that in essence is a production day where you're getting everyone there. Like uh, were there days with rehearsal where you weren't able to have key crew that you would have liked to have there that you had to concede? Like basically just talk to me about the, yeah. the give and take of having a serious rehearsal period that most indies normally don't get, but it being obviously such a big component of what this film was structurally. Absolutely critical, right, because of the production style. Um, I don't think you do a movie like this without doing that. I don't think it's possible at all. Um, if it is, like, good for you, but, like, <laughs> also let me see Let me see it, <laughs> and we'll talk. I, I think, um, you know, for me as, as a director, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an actor's director. I care more about performance and what's happening there with the actors um, because I already, I, because I feel confident in my DP. Right, and I know we're on the same page. We have a shorthand. I'm not worried about about him. I'm not worried about the image because I we've already made some choices, and I, and I believe in those choices. So, so for me, rehearsal was really just with actors. And so, what I did is is I reached out to actors as individuals and said, "Hey, um, I would love to work with you on this scene," uh, or two of them, or three of them, kind of in these small groups over a period of two to three months, um, and in some cases. You know, it was just a couple of them. They would co- literally come to my apartment and they would do a scene, you know, by candlelight in, in my living room floor. And I only have 700 square feet, right? So it's not like we have a lot of space to work with. And of course, I'd have dinner there for them and, you know, try and make it as, as professional as possible. But that ended up being very critical for relationship building between the actors and for, for performance. And then for the scenes with, you know, like more of the full cast, eight, nine people, um, luckily, I was able to, to you know, flex at AFI and, and get a room hold for free and, um, you know, go in there and kind of, like, approximate the, the setting, you know, like, use use tables for countertops. I knew the layout of the location, so then I can kind of, like, use chairs and tables. And, and so you space. did have those locations set? Basically. Like, we'd already done the scouting, and I, I kind of knew. Okay. Um, so this was the tail end of the rehearsal, you're saying, yeah. Yeah, and in some cases, like, like I knew we were going to be in a van. So, like, all the scenes in the van, like, that's super easy, right? Like, I knew we are going to be in, in a cargo van, and so I know where... <laughs> I know the tape measure of that inside of that van, so I know exactly where people are sitting. And I know where the captain's chairs are and I, when people are going to be looking over their shoulders. So then I'm able to shoot with my phone um, through, you know, through one of those director's apps on a 24 and be like, oh, okay, like, this is, like, where it's going to need to be. Um, but essentially, it was just, like as much as I could get the actors on their schedules to come to come over to me or to come to the AFI and practice, I did. And, and luckily, one of my ADs, uh, this guy, Mark Pania, who's great, um, he was willing to do that with me. So especially when we had a lot of cast there. And so he would be with me running stopwatch um, and kind of telling me, um, you know, who was on who was on deck ready to come into a scene and who wasn't. He could fly people in and, you know, escort people out to the holding place when they weren't needed in the scene so I had his support there right and that was super that was great 
Um, and luckily he was just like loved the project and wanted to be a part of it. So it didn't. So yeah, was the onset, sorry to interject, but no, though was the onset because you know, uh, basically they're like stage managers in that case, as opposed to just an AD, you know what I mean? They're Mm -hmm. literally like, you know. Yeah, they're on walk. They're on. That's why you were shooting too, though. Like, yeah, that's right. They're yeah. on walkie. They're doing. They're doing. Um, all Tapping the, people. <laughs> that's right. Cross they're the listening. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're sending actors. They're taking actors away. It's they're, already a thankless job. Add that to it. Whew. They're putting, <laughs> right. they're putting people in wardrobe. I don't. I. I try. I, I think I wore a walkie in production, but I think I turned it off at a certain point so people would see that I had an earpiece, but then they, they didn't know I wasn't listening. So. Um, Main, but when I but when I needed to call a cue, then I could turn it on and be like, you know, send Joe, and and sometimes he came right away, and sometimes it took a minute, uh, and because of the way I chose to shoot, that's just what I that was what was going to happen. I just had to live with that. Yeah. So so you had all this. Uh, you touched on it a lot, but I guess we didn't have, again haven't specified. So there was a lot of. Because you were directing this one long take, you did have a lot of actual interaction. Yes, you developed some systems where, like, they blink twice so you can yeah, communicate yeah. without actual words, maybe in some cases, but you, there was a lot of talking, too. Right. How, especially with an improv-based yeah. performance, where yeah. it's, you don't know exactly when things are going to be said and there's sound is an issue, right. uh, how much uh, did those things butt heads and how much post-sound... Sure shit storms did that create post sound was critical um reynolds barney who's our quote-unquote editor really served more as like a post-production supervisor he did a lot of work taking my voice out of the movie and taking ross's voice out of the movie um you know and and sometimes it's whispers and they're really hard to hear but he was able to catch them and, and, and scrape 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 them out um usually without really um you know killing the audio from the actors uh, but the, it was a real challenge. I mean, I like in the original takes, I'm all over that movie talking to them. Um, so I mean, it was really kind of like a unrelenting task, I'm sure, to scrub me out. Um, and then in in a couple scenes, we did have to rebuild the audio through ADR with the actors um, because of that. But also because you know when we're in that van, there's no room for the boom, the sound guys. So we pre-miked those vehicle environments, um, and in some cases, those pre-mics. The pre-mic environments worked really well, but you know it's trial and error. So we, we learned on an early take that we were hearing more engine than actor, right? And so we had to adjust where the mics were going to be, and you know try and get them taped up adequately. Um, and even then, it was like so. Were any of actors lobbed or no actors lobbed? Yeah. yeah. So because I didn't want the opportunity to see a lob and then have to try and fix that in post, I'd rather fix the audio in post, right? And so and so ADR became critical for a few scenes. To re- essentially rebuild them entirely. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely made it hard on yourself, man. No yeah. question. <laughs> but actually, ADR ended up being a whole lot of fun. Um, we, we ended up doing it at the Glen Glen Sound Building, um, which was also just like walkable from my house. But that is the same place where they, they did sound for Clockwork Orange and West Side Story. It's, I mean, it's a historic sound building. Cool. And as a sound person, from the music world, I was like, oh, Glen Glen Sound. And, and we did a British style, so the engineer was in the room with me and the actor with the projection, um, kind of that, that setting. So it, it allowed us to kind of re-enter those scenes, you know, in post with performance in a really cool way. Cool. So I, plus it's run by Deluxe now, and they have like all kinds of amenities that my mm-hmm. actors didn't get on set, which they got in post, which I was happy about. Very nice. Treated like rock stars there. <laughs> 
Uh, having been through and learned uh, much of what you will from this project, there's still a few lessons, I'm sure, because it's not, even once it's, there's people sitting in seats looking at it and whatever, whatever screen they're watching on, you'll still be learning things. But yeah. uh, having been through much of the process now, what is the thing you most want, you most want to do differently on your next feature? Which is, I guess, somewhat of an extension of maybe your, the mistakes, but it doesn't have to be. No, man. It's yeah, all so. aesthetic. Uh, I want to shoot in the daytime, and I want it to be real slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's like to shoot in full light um, in a natural environment, and also in a natural environment. Uh, I mean, this was like streets and cars and houses. I want to see like woods and rivers and moon, and uh, I don't want to feel like we're in a rush all the time to, for a scene. I, I want to play with time in a different way. I mean, this allowed us to condense and expand time in an interesting way because of its production, but I want to be able to just sit in a scene and not worry about like calling a cue to get to the next place, yeah. right? Just to be slow and, um, you know. Not, I, not do 90 not minute takes. Yeah, I get yeah, that. But, <laughs> yeah, just, just, you know, be in a scene and hear birds <laughs> and like have that be part of production mm. and not worry about it. Totally. Okay, that's stuff. That's it for the project. What, uh, what, where can we follow the project? And are there any other notable dates coming up? I'm turning around these quick, sure. so don't, yeah, don't be worried about. Um, so, uh, Facebook.com slash Saviors Film, Instagram, Saviors Film, same handle. Um, I mean, you can follow us there. You can reach out to us there. We try to respond to the reasonable messages and requests. Uh, we'll be playing at Richmond International Film Fest if you're in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, or that uh, mid-Atlantic area. Uh, I don't know which date we're playing yet, but we will be at that festival, which I think will be really interesting given what's happening there with, with the governor of Virginia um, and the conversation we're having about race right now. So that, that should be cool to have that conversation in that space right now. Um, and then we have a few festivals that we're still, I mean, we're on the tail end, but there's a, there's a few that we would like to play that we're still kind of you know, hoping to, to get um, admitted to. And, you know, we, we'd love to play in the Northeast. We haven't played there yet. So we'd love to play in Boston or New York. We'd love to play in the Northwest. Yeah, haven't, done New haven't done New York, so that would be super cool. Um, we'd love to play in the Northwest just because I love the Northwest. So somewhere in Vancouver, Seattle, Portland. Um, and we'd love to go to Japan. I mean, so those are kind of like, for me, the festivals... You know, the, everyone builds their festival strategy differently, and there's tiers, and I get all of that. But like, yours is just places I want to go. <laughs> I mean, look, like, like, com like I want to have the conversation in certain areas with certain audiences. That's a reward for me as I a know. filmmaker, 100%. and and of course, I want to go to Japan. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't know who doesn't. I mean, because we, we, you know, London was amazing. London was a, like, we were at rain, rain dance, and that's a lot different than playing in San Francisco which is a lot different than playing uh, in St. Louis, right? Um, the conversation just plays really differently in every place. Well, Astro Jane was in St. Louis, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I was, we weren't able to go. I was sad because I love John Goodman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was there. He was great. I mean, it's also great to be programmed alongside, like, Widows and yeah. Roma and, uh, you know, Destroyer, which is a, probably a decent comp for us. I, I mean... It's nice to be in that company. Uh, it's it's also hard to play at the same time as uh, Wildlife Paul Dano's you know directorial debut right. in the room next to us. But I mean, it didn't matter. Um, you know, and I, we, every time you go to these places, you make good friends, uh, and that's rewarding also. Right. The the toughest act I've ever had to follow was the premiere of two features ago that I directed. 
was in the room after Tony Robbins's feature. Like, and you can't, there's no way you're going to generate as much uh, excitement as Tony Robbins generates from his fan base. That's right. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to watch the, the Tony Robbins fan base file out of the room. Yeah, And yeah. then just, there was, especially to watch my depressing ass movie. Yeah. Uh, it was well, just a, I mean, such a turn. <laughs> but there's an important lesson there though, right? The important lesson is that like comparisons actually don't really matter, right? And who you're playing before or after doesn't really matter. No, no of course. Uh, it's you know, everything. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just like you're there and the movie's there and like that's amazing. It was just, it was just funny. Yeah. Just funny. Um, cool, man. Okay, so the last thing I like to ask uh, uh, the filmmakers, or I'm going to be asking every filmmaker, considering this is only the third one of these, yeah. uh, is define the phrase independent filmmaking as you see it. Gosh. Uh, I mean, independent is, I think, a loosely bandied term right now, and that's why you're asking, right? Like, you look at the South by schedule and the Indies Indie section, and there's still a Duplass Brothers uh, production there. Right, uh, and they've got a deal at Netflix and a deal at HBO. So, and I love them, but and I love South by, but that doesn't feel indie indie to me, even though that's their whole thing, right? Both of them. Um, so, I guess in that context, well, they'd like you to think that for sure. Right, it helps them. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they got to program a great festival, and the Duplass brothers, you know, do really cool stuff. I, I love them. Um, they're part of the inspiration for even doing this. Um, you know, just getting out there and fucking doing the thing. You know, they they're great advocates of that, and, and I, you know, I, the Calvary is not coming. That's right. That's, that's a great quote. So I would say, you know, for me, maybe the more maybe the more useful term right now is bootstrap filmmaking, right? Like, you know, getting to that, like, you really do have to kind of build it yourself with whatever you have to get out there and do it, and and yeah, no one is coming. No one is coming. And by the way, nobody wants your art just yet. So if you have illusions that you're going to ask people for money and they're just going to give it to you, like, you know, maybe you should gut check yourself and say, wait, like, why do I need to make this? And, and, and completing that exercise and, and communicating with uh, your creative partners and your actors who are going to work on it, right, like, becomes, I think, a really critical part of independent filmmaking as opposed to a focus features who do great work, a focus features production, which has capital, right? They can afford to do all the things that, that, that they need to do to make a movie, right? Which independent independent or bootstrap filmmakers don't by the very nature of the process. You just don't have it. So I would say, uh, for me, if, if you're listening and you're gonna make a movie and no one's giving you money um, and you somehow have enough to make something, that's an independent production. Literally independent. Enough to make. Enough to make. <laughs> not something. a co- yeah, yeah, not a codependent production. An independent <laughs> yeah. production, right? Um, Absolutely, man. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Cool. You got it. And that is a wrap on episode three of the filmmaking the hard way podcast. Thank you to Chris for extending his Tuesday and sitting down with me at the end of it to have a coffee and talk about the film. If you'd like to follow the pod, you can do so on iTunes, SoundCloud, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and probably anywhere else that you listen to your pods. And uh, please do rate and review, uh, hopefully positive, <laughs> uh, thoughts uh, on, on the pod so uh, it can, we can help other people find this thing and, and, and hear what these filmmakers are saying uh, about their work and their process. And if you'd like to follow me, you can do so on Twitter, at Josh Folan, on Instagram, at MyShiftKeyIsBroke, and you can find my production company website at nyehentertainment.com. Thanks so much. Till next time.